You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. I didn't have my microphone on. I said I get treated like a guest speaker every Sunday here. Because I know which one of us, Miss Ann or me, that y'all really love. I don't blame you. <laughs> I've had a lot of changes in my life lately. For those of you who may not know, just a few weeks ago, I was named the director of the Institute at Christ for the Nations <laughs> Institute in Dallas. Which, amen. Thank you. And, and I kind of suspected it might be coming, so I... Over the last year or so, I've been trying to reorder my life and rearrange some of the responsibilities that I have had, you know, pushing them off on other people, <laughs> if, I, if at all possible, <laughs> to, to make room for this assignment. And uh, so, so sure enough, it came. You do some things in faith, in preparation, believing that you're going to receive something, something better. And uh, I appreciate the Lord in it. But I will, I'm saying this today because I really, I really believe in the prayers of the saints. And I want you to pray for me every time I come to your mind. Pray for me concerning that position because I want to be honorable to the Lindsays who actually are the president, presidential family of, of that ministry and honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ above all. And I want to be honoring to our students and to the faculty there and to help them, you know, prospering at all, but I want to be honoring to you. I want to be there and give this church a good name as a result of what I do there. Is that all right? So you all join me in prayer for that, and I thank God for it. Today I want to talk to you about New Covenant realities. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, uh, he's preached this sermon before. No, I have not. But I preach this title numerous times. Any sermon I can't come up with a title for, I call it New Covenant Realities. <laughs> you know what I mean, Brother David. It's just kind of a continuation of what we ought to be preaching all the time. So this is like New Covenant Realities number five, I think, something like that. I've lost count. But this is just more of the same powerful things that we, we're learning from the New Covenant. I think the church has been so old covenanted throughout the ages at the church, and we all have to be real careful with what we hear. Be careful what you hear, because what you hear is words are seeds. And if you receive them into your heart, you believe them, they get planted in your heart, and they be begin to produce fruit. They produce fruit. And if it's a legalism seed that comes into your heart, that's the kind of fruits you'll produce. I'm not saying we don't have rules. I'm not saying we don't live orderly. I'm just saying it's, you have to be real careful about how you view yourself in relationship to God. And how you view yourself to relation, in relationship to God is skewed oftentimes. Now, what, what the church has done is bought into the idea that we all need to be disciples as the apex of our experience. Oh, it's one, because you've heard this said, it's one thing to be a believer, but it's another thing to be a disciple. You've heard that. 
Yeah, 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 you can be a believer, but you're not a disciple until you get committed and grow up in the things of God. So, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that when you grow up, you become a son, and you are a slave and a student and a follower for a short time. Oh, we're always followers, but, but, I mean, followers and slaves and students, all are kind of in the same category. When I'm the body... Glory to God. That's a whole different thing. When He is dwelling in me, I'm not following Him now. I'm just with Him now all the time. Wherever I go, that's where He is. Did God meet with you at church? Yeah, I know because I was there. You follow me? We've got to get this mindset. We've got to get our minds renewed. The earth is not groaning in travail for a manifestation of the disciples of Christ. The earth is groaning in travail for a manifestation of the sons of God. The word is teleos, the full-grown sons, because slaves, servants, disciples, students will never act like sons. Sons act like their father. Glory to God. Woo. Glory be to God. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for people in the earth who don't just say, well, I follow the Lord. He's looking for people in the earth who will speak for the Lord, who will act like God in the earth, who will be loving and forgiving and powerful in the earth. And act like when they speak, God is speaking. Oh, I hope this is God. I'm so sorry. No! Open your mouth like the preacher just told us. Open your mouth and declare it. And it will be established because when God opened his mouth and declared, light be, there was light. It's about time that the church acts like they have that kind of authority because you do. You do. In reality, the new covenant reality says you do have that. Turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to read some today. Glory to God. I already started preaching. had him read the Bible yet. I feel like a hungry Roman lion ready to get his Christian dinner. Praise God. <laughs> Acts chapter 3, verse 25. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Now, Father, we thank you for the power of your word today. Thank you for the opportunity to stand here. For me personally, just the privilege of standing before your people, this mighty family that you have, right here in Durant, Oklahoma, and to speak for heaven, to speak for the cause of my Father, and my elder brother Jesus, in Jesus' name, I give you the praise. Amen and amen. Did you notice he said, you are the children of the prophets? Now, he was speaking to Israel specifically. But when you're in the family of God through the new birth, that's you. The church, number one, is a prophetic people. The church is a prophetic people. You need to see this in your own life. 
You were not called just to be an echo of what you've heard. You were called by Almighty God to be a voice. This church believes this. You are called by God to be a prophetic people. Listen to me. You have something to say that your community, your neighborhood, your workplace, your family needs to hear. Not just your opinions, but the voice of Almighty God coming through you. We are called to be a prophetic people. The church is, not will be, not hopes to be, the church is a prophetic people. You are the sons of the prophets, he says. You are the children of the prophets. You are prophetic. Acts chapter 2 and verses 16, 17, 18. The very first spirit-filled sermon ever preached starts like this. But what was spoken by the prophet Joel? I like the way the King James says it. They got the, they got the King Jimmy up there. <laughs> this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And what's the first response of receiving the Spirit? Your sons and your daughters shall get somebody to prophesy over them. No. <laughs> what does it say? The very first thing in describing what the church is and what the people of God are supposed to be like yeah. and what they are indeed. My spirits are come upon you. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. It's an identifying mark of the church of the living God. Come on, somebody say amen. Yeah. First thing he says about us. Sons and daughters, young men will see visions. Oh, there's more Holy Ghost activity. Your old men will dream dreams. Look at verse 18. And on my servants and on my handmaids I pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Glory to God. Woo. You know what I think? This is part of faith's confession. Part of faith's confession. Part of prophesying is saying it out there so it will happen. Not always is prophesying just predictive of something that's automatically going to happen. Part of prophesying is saying it so it will happen. A faith confession out there. I say I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. That's a kind of prophecy. And those words go out there just like God's, word, God's light word, God's creation word went out there. Your healing word goes out there. Your money word goes out there. Out of your, your confession goes out there and begins to prophesy your future. Praise God in a faith confession. Everybody understand what we're talking about? It is the will of God. The church is a prophetic people. I, if I asked you here, what was the first miracle Jesus ever performed? Can anybody tell me what the first miracle Jesus ever performed? Turning the water into wine. He turned the water into wine. The wine is indicative of what? Anybody remember? It's in miracles, but more specifically, the Spirit. The wine is indicative of the outpouring of the Spirit. The new wine comes into our life and miraculous things happen. Yeah. You remember the first miracle Moses worked? Turning the water into blood. Uh, Pastor Curtis and I discussed this today. First miracle Jesus worked was turning the water into wine, spirit. First, mo first miracle Moses 
works was turning the water into blood. Now the blood had to be shed, but the blood had to be shed for one reason, to deal with ju judgment. On this end of the cross, the judgment, thank you, Jesus, has passed. And I love the idea, just like Mark Lowry says. Think about it. It said they had already drunk all the wine they had. And Jesus shows up, and Mary wants him, wants him to get more wine. And the very first miracle Jesus worked was not one of necessity, but one of pure prosperity. Did they need more wine, actually? I don't think so, not toward the end of the party. <laughs> a pure prosperity miracle, the very first one he worked was to just give them more than enough. Come on, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what he wants you to think about why his miracle power is here for you. Is it just so you can live on barely get along street like Brother A. Hagen said, way down there at the end of the street by Grumble Alley? Huh? You remember that, Brother David? Uh, that, did he just wants you to barely get along, or is he not the God of more than enough? Amen. Yeah. And he worked, worked that first miracle to prove it. Mark Lowry says, I just, he said, this turns me on, that Jesus worked his first miracle just to keep the party going. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. I know if you're religious, that's going to burn a hole in you, but it, it's, it's just the way it is. It's still the truth. It's still the truth. It's just the way it is. <laughs> But, but I, want to, I want to challenge you just for a minute. Look at John 1, 47. You got that one up there, Israel? What do we do with this? That, by the way, that working, of, that, 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 uh, that uh, <clears throat> first miracle, turning the water into wine that Jesus worked, is in John chapter 2. But look here. In the previous chapter, before he turned the water into wine. Everybody say before. before. Before he turned the water into wine. This happened. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, How do you know me? Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. Let me ask you, if it says, and it says clearly there in John chapter 2, that that work, turning the water into wine was the first miracle Jesus performed, what on earth was this? If the miracle of turning the water into wine was his first miracle, what was this? See, this is, this is why we don't live like this. It's because we consider this a miracle. We consider, consider any prophetic manifestation in our life, any word of knowledge in our life, we consider it a miracle. So it's on a shelf way, way away from us that we can't reach. You follow me? When what he's really saying in all this if the turning of the water into wine is miraculous, this is not miraculous. This is the way the church was meant to live every day. Amen. Glory to God. Every day just walk around this Holy Ghost thing all over you. Telling people what's wrong with them. They're going to go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, God is real. You, you, you try it sometime. In the supermarket. 
Walk up to that gal standing in line. She's cussing a blue streak. If you got the extra cash, you say, could I pay for your groceries? What? No, I got my, I'd like to pay for your groceries. The Lord's speaking to me about paying for your groceries. Well, I guess so. Yeah, that'd be all right. The Lord's also speaking other things to me. You want to hear them? <laughs> Just step out there by faith and close your eyes. Say, and you're going to get an image. You're going to get a word. Something's going to come to you. Frank right here teaches people how to, how to move in the prophetic. We've got elders in this church that are prophets, praise God. Teach you how to move in the prophetic. That's how you do it. You just step out there by faith. You remember what I said? Part of prophesying is just declaring it. You'll be surprised. When you're done, she'll be weeping. She'll be going, how did you know that about me? Well, you didn't know anything. But the Holy Ghost knows everything. Huh? You can win some people to Jesus through the power of God. Amen. That's what Nathaniel, he's Rabbi, you're the son of God. Man, he turned him. He just said that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. To you are the son of God. <laughs> the church is a prophetic people. And that ought to be our normal fare all the time. I was praying for a woman to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost years ago. She was sitting. I mean, we had prayed for a long time. Had an invitation for people to receive the baptism of the Spirit. A bunch of people came forward. And most of the time, you know, I just laid hands on them, and they just start speaking in tongues. Lay hands on them, they start speaking in tongues. Now, if that speaking in tongues thing gives you the willies, relax. It gives us the willies too, but we still do it. Because <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> sometimes we don't know where it's going, but it, it's awesome. <laughs> lay hands on that and start speaking in tongues. It's awesome. And the next one, next one. I laid hands on this woman, and she didn't, she, nothing happened. I laid hands on another one, they got it, and another one fell down, and another one started running around the building. I mean, it was just, it was just all kinds of manifestations, but they're all speaking in tongues. Except come back to pray for this one woman, nothing happened. Finally, I got some people around her, and they started praying in the, in the Spirit, and we prayed, and we prayed, and I instructed her, and we prayed, and we prayed, and instructed her, and an hour had gone by, and nothing. The Dickens were standing around there at the door looking at their watch, you know, trying to turn out the lights. <laughs> they wanted to go. They had jobs to go to tomorrow, and apparently the preacher didn't. <laughs> we were... We were trying to get this woman through, you know. I was raised a Pentecostal. I don't know if y'all know what that is. Anybody here know what a Pentecostal is? Well, that's what I was. And, uh, and you, we call it praying through. Yeah. David, did you ever do any praying through? Amen. And, and, and in certain cases, I believe in that. You've got to stay till, till you know you, you, you got the pieces. And, and we're praying, and, and just nothing was happening. Finally, she, I said, well, come over here and sit down. We've got to sit down because we were all tarred. The only thing spiritual about sitting down, we were just worn out, you know. So we all kind of sat down on the altar steps like this right here. And she's sitting there, and I sat down beside her. And then just as I sat down, I heard this, James. I said, is that the book of James? He wouldn't say anything else. I said, James. I said, James, James. Oh. Oh, I need to ask her about James. Because I know, let me, let me tell you this. If you're praying for anybody to receive anything, but especially the baptism of the Spirit, or, and, and they're having a hard time, 
there's a very good chance, and I'm not going to say every time, but there's a real good chance they're holding bitterness and unforgiveness somewhere. It's one of the biggest blockages there is to receiving from God. Get people holding bitterness and unforgiveness, it's just hard for them to use their faith. You understand? It's not that God doesn't want to bless them. It's that their faith won't engage because they've got this wall. Everybody understand what we're saying here? You want to get rid of all the stuff that keeps you from using your faith. And uh, the Lord spoke to me that in a word of knowledge, James. And I was just about to ask her, do you know anybody named James? When she said, I guess I just hate Jimmy too much. I said, would his name be James? She said, yep, James, and she named his last name. Wow. That's what I said, wow. <laughs> but I, I didn't have confidence enough just to say it. I was sitting there mulling it over thinking, man, but you imagine, can you imagine what that would have done to her if I'd have said it when I was thinking it? Well, she didn't receive. She didn't receive. And sure enough, her ex-husband had given her fits and she was bitter, and she admitted it. I guess I just hate Jimmy too much. She hated her some Jimmy, I'm telling you. She hated him. <laughs> and, and weeks went by, and she'd come into my office, and man, she still hated Jimmy. I mean, it's all about Jimmy. And it had been 10 years, and she was still. Uh, Casey, come here. I want to do this again. Will you get that guitar right there? Get that bass guitar, it's probably the heaviest one. Just unplug it and bring it down here. We're not gonna hurt your guitar, boy. Not that I could hurt it the way you dance around. I, I, <laughs> I keep thinking that thing's gonna fly apart here a little bit. Oh, it's not yours? <laughs> okay, now Casey, hold your arm straight out toward me. Y'all saw me do this with Israel. Casey, is, is that heavy? It's not right now. You think it might be heavy in five minutes? Yeah. <laughs> you think it might be heavy in Miss Ann's ten minutes? Yeah. How about if I made you carry it for a, uh, an hour? Could you do it? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. It's kind of getting heavy right now, isn't it? Yeah. Now this thing is not heavy. You see this little skinny guy over here dance all over the stage with it. It's not really heavy. <laughs> It's not, really, it's not really heavy. And by the way, by the way, I play guitar, and I've had a guitar strapped on me, it seems like, most of my life. They're not heavy. But after a while, you see Casey, big old kid, he helped me move the couches. He's big, he's stout. He, he, he is strong like a bull. But uh, no matter how strong you are, you hold something long enough, it's going to weight you down. Can I say, it doesn't matter how big the bitterness or the big, the unfree, or how small the thing is that you're holding. All that counts is how long you hold it. So you've got to turn loose of these things because they become great barriers to your walk with God. They become great resistance to your walk with God. I did that for our new people because I know most of you knew where I was going with that. <coughs> But the, but, the, but the moral of the story, I mean, the, the end of the story is the addendum to this story I was just telling you about the lady named Doris. Doris is in heaven today, so I freely tell this story. But Doris, about three months later, came to church one night. And she said, Pastor John, I'm ready. I said, you're ready for what? She said, I'm ready to see the Holy Ghost. 
She said, I've forgiven Jimmy. She received the baptism in the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues that night. Just like that. Amen. But, but we're a prophetic people. And why are we a prophetic people? So we can show everybody what we know? No, we're a prophetic people to help folks. It's a prophetic church that helps people. It's one that knows things in the Spirit that helps people. People are just fumbling through life with what they know and the best they can do. They just do the best they can do and they're just barely getting by. You understand what I'm saying? And if they're getting by real well, they're probably stepping on somebody to do it. They're not doing it God's way. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to get rich in this world. There's God's way to get wealthy, and God wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to have more than enough. Come on, you need to understand this. He does not want you to live on Broke Street. He wants you to be blessed and have more than enough. Praise God. Miss Ann told me to say that because she knows your tithers. And... Uh, <laughs> Two years before I became the director of the institute, two years ago, I was in a, in a small room with Kenneth Copeland in West Texas. And he found out I was from Christ for the Nations. And he came over to me, laid his hands on me and prayed for me. And he said, increase is coming to you. Dr. Holler, he said, you're going to be blessed. Great influence is coming. And God's going to use you there at CFNI mightily in a bigger way than now. Well, there wasn't any way for me to go bigger except to become the president or, or what I am now. Amen. He just spoke those words. He didn't know me from Adam. Amen. You understand? The church is called to be a prophetic church and is. God didn't just call us to it. He made us prophetic by giving us the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. I want you to see something here. I may not get out of this prophetic church moment. Look at you, sweetheart. You're making me want to cry. Is this helping you today? God bless you. God bless you. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.18 This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, Paul says, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. This tells you why the 21st century church is so stinking powerless. Because we teach our young disciples to war by, the good, by a good education they get. We teach our young disciples to war by how many wealthy people they know. We teach our young disciples to war by being sure that you, you vote in the next election. We teach our young disciples, all these are not, these are not all bad things, but I'm saying that we forget what really equips a man or woman of God for ministry is prophetic utterances that went before over them. Yes. And any ordination that doesn't include prophetic utterances is just as good as joining the Rotary Club. You follow me? He said, you know, I want you to fight by what was spoken to you by the Holy Ghost. Amen. These prophetic voices that were spoken over you. Look at 4, 14, 1 Timothy 4, and chapter, 4 uh, chapter 4 and verse 14. He says it again. Before he gets done with this letter, he goes back to that very thing. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, and with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Well, listen to me. The Apostle Paul, I mean, if I had him directly in my life, I don't think I'd be asking for help from any place else. I mean, I would just think, okay, I got, I got the diamond, the diamond Apostle right here. 
I mean, this is the big dude. And he is. But he acknowledged that leadership needs the involvement and input from an array of ministries. You understand that? That's why here in this church, we practice. We not only preach it and teach it, but we practice the, the inclusion of the five-fold ministry. That's why you have a pastor who is a lady. A real lady. I think she's gorgeous. I've never seen a prettier pastor my whole life. I used to call her the prettiest girl in Love County. Amen. But now she's the prettiest girl in Bryan County. And I really like her. I do. How long have we been married? 43 years. Wow. Wow. 43 years. 43 and a half years. But she's a pastor. I'm not exactly a pastor. My, my calling, my gifting is more apostolic than it is anything else. I'm a church planter. And I help churches and pastors deal with their issues. And I do it easily. These, these things just come to me easily. I have to work at pastoring. If I have to pastor, I have to work at it. I have to act like I care. I have to... Miss <laughs> Ann's not like that. She cares. I mean, she's really deeply involved in it, you know. We have... But we believe in that, we, and that's why we have a host of ministries that come through here and that help us, help us go down the road. This is the kind of thing that went on with the New Testament church of the first century. They had prophets speaking into the, into the ministry. They had prophets that came in, or prophets that were in the house, as we have prophets in the house. You understand what we're saying? You need a full manifestation of Jesus Christ, and you would not ever get that just through your pastor or just through an apostle here, or just through a prophet. You need the full manifestation. You need the evangelist. You need the teacher. You need it all. Amen. Amen. I'm glad to be a part of a church like that, aren't you? Yes. Amen. Secondly, we found in these verses of scriptures that we read in Acts chapter 3 that the church is a covenant people. The church is a covenant people. Let's look at it again, what it said there in that first verse... Uh, 25, you are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. We are children of the covenant that God made with the fathers. The church is a covenant people. Not ought to be a covenant people. Not ought to act like they're in the covenant. And they should, but that's not what he says. He says you are children of the covenant. Children of the covenant. And what that means is, now I want you to hear what it really means. The children of a marriage are the children of a covenant. The children of a marriage are the children of a covenant. When he says we are the children of the covenant, then the children of a marriage are the children of a covenant. Meaning, these two people have exchanged blood. A man and woman, when they make a baby, they exchange blood. I know there's maybe a few children in here. I need to be careful how I say this. But when, 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 when man and woman come together and make a baby, they're exchanging blood because they exchange it genetically. Not, not physical blood, but they exchange it genetically. And that's all we need to talk about, okay? <laughs> they, 
And the baby's blood is created from both its father and its mother genetically. Now, a lot of Pentecostals and a lot of others, where I come from, they don't like this teaching. They want to say the blood was only the blood of God. I'm sorry. If you only have the blood of one party, you only have half a covenant. You have to have the blood of both parties. It had to be the blood of man and the blood of God. Well, the blood of man was tainted. The Bible never says that at all anywhere. It's all just made up nonsense. Every baby is created from the genetic makeup of its father and its mother in its blood. Now, now there is reason to believe that the daddy has dominance in that blood because the child's blood type is determined by the father. You understand that? It's determined by the father. Blood type. And it could be any variation. If it's an A and B, if he's A and B, then the child could be B or A. Yeah. So it's yeah. something like that. But never will, that, never will that baby be O if its mother is O and its daddy is A and B. That baby will not have O type blood. So it's determined by the father. Okay, so let's, let's keep that straight. There's a greater emphasis on the father when it comes to the blood. But, so no, you, you know why I'm explaining all this? Because of Jesus and his father. They say, well, it couldn't be the flesh of Mary. Could really be the flesh of Mary. I'm sorry, it is. It says Jesus Christ was made of the seed of David. How did that happen? If it wasn't through Mary. He's made of the seed of David. Made of the seed of David. How did that happen if he didn't have Mary's actual flesh? Had to be. Had to be. Had to be a fully, fully man. Fully man means fully man. And fully God means fully God. All right. Stay with me. God made a covenant and Jesus was the child of that covenant. Glory to God. The reason Jesus was able to escape being born a sinner, even though he was the son of a woman and had the flesh of David and Mary, is because, every, because most city folks don't know what every farmer knows. <laughs> every farmer knows that the soil does not decide what grows in it. The soil does not decide what grows in it. Mary was just the soil. Oh, come on, you ought to be shouting by now. The seed decides what grows in that soil. Amen. Whatever grows in that soil, praise God. This is how Jesus escaped having a sin nature because Adam was the reason we were all sinners, not Eve. Eve did not pass along. I mean, she's a, she's a carrier, but she's not infectious. She's not contagious. Adam was contagious with sin. And whatever he was, that's all he could produce after that. That's why Jesus had to have a different daddy. And he had the Father divine, praise God. Had Almighty God as his Father, miraculously injecting the Word of God. It was just the Word spoken into Mary's womb that caused her to conceive. Amen. The seed of the Word of God. Ooh, glory. And he was born of her flesh, a man-child. So he wasn't a clone. He had maleness in him from somewhere. Yes, he did. From the Father in heaven. Glory to God. A child of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Well, how did that happen? When did God make this kind of covenant with Abraham? That he was going to give a miracle son to die 
in an exchange for righteousness. How? Oh. Oh. A covenant says there has to be reciprocity. That is, tit for tat. Give and receive. Give and receive. It has to go both ways. So before God could do that, 3,000 years before, He had to find a man who would do it first because in earth, men have authority. You follow me? In earth, man had authority. That sold out to the devil, no doubt. But God got a man to listen to him. A man named Abram. By this time, his name is Abraham. And God said to him one day, Take your son, your only son. Oh, we're not even going to talk about Ishmael. I still call this one your only son. The only one I gave you. Huh? Your only son. Your miracle son. On top of a mountain where I will show you. How is it that 3,000 years before Jesus would die on the top of Mount Moriah, the very mountain peak that, that, that where Jerusalem is built. There are three mountain peaks there. Moriah is one of them, Zion is one of them, and Olive is one of them. The Mount of Olives. And where Jesus was killed was Mount Moriah, exactly the place where 3,000 years before, glory to God, 3,000 years before, Abraham, God's covenant partner on earth, had taken his son up there and killed him, at least in his mind, killed him, saw him dead, and resurrected from the dead. As a covenant door he was opening for God to be able to, in reciprocity, give his son. You understand what we're saying here? The Bible says, you are children of that covenant. The same way Jesus was born from the dead, you have been born from the sin that death brought. The death that sin brought. But really, sin that death brought. Adam died and it created sin in us. The wages of sin is death. The wages of death is sin. The same thing. You following me? But you have been born all over again. If you're a believer in Jesus, that means you've been born all over again and now you have a different family. You are children of a covenant. A covenant that is holy. A covenant that is just. A covenant that is right because God made the covenant. There can't be anything wrong with this covenant because God made it. Yeah, but I don't like some of the details. The details are all marvelous and wonderful in every way. You just don't understand the details. If you don't like them, you can't possibly understand them. I heard a story about a little boy that, that they, they asked him, his little sister needed a blood transfusion. She was very sick, and she needed a blood transfusion. And they asked him, said, would, would you let us have a, give your little sister a blood transfusion of your blood? He said, yeah, I would. So they took him in there, and they strapped him down, and had his little sister over there, had, his, had him here, and they pumping his blood out and putting, you know, giving her the blood. And as they're getting the blood going, he sees that blood leave his arm. And he says, goodbye, sis. I'll see you in heaven. And the doctor said, no, 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 no. Well, why, 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 why will you see her in heaven? He said, well, I'm giving her my blood. He thought he had to give her all his blood. And was still willing to do it. <laughs> they said, no, you just got to give her a little bit. Amen. But here we find somebody willing to give his blood for you, to shed his blood for you freely so you could live. And he did give all of his blood. He gave it all, gave it all, gave it all, glory to God, so that you wouldn't have to give anything but your faith. 
church is a covenant people. Secondly, thirdly, I should say, the church is a blessed people. Did you notice that in that verse? He says, can we put that back up there? The church is a blessed people. Acts, 20, Acts 3, 24, is it? You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying, Abraham, and, and in your seed to all the families of the earth, shall all the earth, uh, earth, families of the earth, shall be blessed. So the church is a blessed people. I actually heard a preacher say one time, now this church is not a bless me club. You know what I leaned over and said to Miss Ann? I won't be back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to announce today, the river is a bless me club, praise God. Amen, Amen. it's a bless me club. Right. I don't disdain the covenants of promise and the blessings of God. We want you to be blessed when you come here. We want to tell you you're supposed to be blessed. We want to tell you children of a blessing. It's who you are. Amen. It's who you are. You are blessed. I don't even have to say God bless you anymore. I do because it's kind of a greeting. But that's all I really mean to greet you. The truth is you are blessed. You don't need holler to say bless you. God bless you. Oh, now I feel blessed. You don't need that. You are blessed. Praise God. The blessing is on you. And God's not going to take it back. I can get through the day now. Holler said, bless you. <laughs> now, what does mean something if I say, I bless you in Jesus' name. Yeah. I speak blessings to you. I speak health to you. I, you understand? It, you have a right to speak these blessings. You have the blessing. You possess the blessing. The blessing is in you. Amen. Amen. You have the love of God in you. God is in you. Amen. God's love is in you. You have received the love of God. You know, Acts chapter 13, we've talked about that some. Acts chapter 13, though I have the gift of faith and, and have not love. Every time we read that, every time we read that. Can you put that up there real quick? I know it's not in the notes. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Israel's so good at this. Though I speak with the tongues, because he knows the Bible. He went to Bible college. <laughs> Where'd you go to Bible school? Christ for the Nations Institute. Amen, praise God. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or tingling cymbal. I, 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 I looked that phrase up. It's all through that whole passage. But have not love, I'm nothing. I looked it up. I looked it up in the Greek. You know what the word have says? Have means? It doesn't mean to operate in. Doesn't mean to dispense. Not one time does it say, though I have the gift of faith, so that I can remove mountains and do not operate in love. That's not what it says. We turn the most gracious passage in the Bible into a legalistic mandate with a club. Said, you ain't getting nothing from God till you love people. That's the way we make it sound. That's the way we read it. When what he says there, the word have means to possess. What's wrong with being blessed and possess the love of God? And to know that you're loved. Your faith won't work until you know you're loved. When you know you're loved, you can move mountains because you can stand up and act like, oh, I know I hadn't been perfect, but there's a God in heaven that loves me more than my, way beyond my performance. Hallelujah. Now you turn that faith loose and watch what God will do if you'll just believe Him. Amen. Your faith will work when you, when you know you're loved. And this is, one of the reasons why we don't, because we think, well, I gotta love people more. I gotta love people more, and just turns into a legalistic hammer that never makes you love anybody. Yeah. 
fact, it'll eventually make you hate God. Yeah. <laughs> eventually, it'll just make you hate God. Drop out of church and all that. I'm telling you, you are blessed. You're blessed with God's love. And I'm going to keep saying this, and your performance is going to get better and better and better. And all that sin consciousness will fall off you. And all that sin, sin thinking will fall off you. And all those temptations that the devil brings against you will just get smaller and smaller and smaller because we don't magnify sin so much. We magnify righteousness. Amen. All you need to do is magnify righteousness. You magnify love. Magnify the power of God. And grace will flow to you and equip you. It is the grace of God that teaches you denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We live soberly and righteously before Him. We live that way because of grace. Not because we got a, some, some preacher with a big hammer hitting us all the time between the eyes. Amen. i got to tell you, though, Paul never makes reference to being blessed. In any of Paul's writings, he never makes reference to being blessed. He uses the word bless and blessing and blessed a number of times. But in every reference to blessing, he encourages the believer to be the one doing the blessing. You understand this? You don't have to be begging to be blessed. We are blessed. And this is a bless me club. This is a bless you club. Come on, tell two people, bless you. Bless you. Come on, say something good to them. Think of something good to say about them. You're not as bald as your wife says you are. Something, something real nice. Come on, say something real nice. <laughs> something real nice. You're not as fat as you look. You know, something like that. <laughs> Look at verse 26, chapter 3 of Acts. I'm almost done. You got a few more minutes? I got one more idea I need to get across to you. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, there's that word bless again, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. I look this word bless up. What, what, what Peter's actually saying in this sermon, he sent him to bless you in turning every one of you away from his iniquities. He sent him to bless you. Do you know what the word bless is here? Anybody know? I know Brother David knows. Eulogio. It means to say good things about another. To bless with words. To praise even. It's a word we use for how we talk to God. Same word used, it says Jesus came to bless you, to say good words about you, Woo. to praise you. You can almost hear it even in the old covenant when God said to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? He's bragging on Job. They talk about you in heaven. They're writing a book down for every time you think on the name of the Lord, every time you think about the Lord, and every time we talk to one another about Him, they've got a book they're writing it. Malachi 3.16 tells us about it. They're writing it in a book. That you're thinking about the Lord. That you're talking about the Lord. Well, I wonder what they do when He starts talking about us. Eulogio. To say good things about another. So, how did He get them to turn from their iniquities? By barking at them all the time about how sinful they were? Ought to bring some good news. 
The message of the gospel is not about how sinful you are and how badly you need God to forgive you. The message of the gospel is this. Christ already died for your sins. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And the message to you is, believe this message. Believe this report, and it can be yours today. Glory to God. Amen. He didn't have to do one thing to forgive you. He's He's already there. He forgave the whole world. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. He was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. He was in Christ making everything right between Him and the world. And God got over it. God really got over it. When Jesus satisfied His justice on Calvary. You don't hear this talked hardly anywhere anymore. There was a time where preachers understood this. Preachers don't understand it anymore. They're still mad about people sinning. And they make up sins. They make up sins. Oh, man, I don't know how you... I don't know how, and, and as light as they'll go about smoking, let's talk about smoking for a minute. No, I guess it won't send you to hell, but you'll smell like you've been there. You've heard that? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, now listen, how many of you know smoking is rough on your health? It won't keep you out of heaven. But it might send you there sooner. But I can't read the Bible and tell you that smoking is a sin. I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. Gambling, man, they, they hammer gambling. I think gambling is dangerous, and I don't do it. I just don't do it. I've never put so much as a nickel in a slot machine. I've had to drag Miss Ann out of several, several casinos, but she, I've never done it. No, I'm kidding. Y'all know I'm kidding. The preachers make up the sin of dancing. Dancing on the river. Where is that in the Bible? You just made it up. Get this one. Even drinking. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting any of you start drinking and dancing and carousing around. I'm not suggesting. I, please hear my heart. I believe, I believe you're supposed to live holy. You are because you are holy people. But I'm saying these are just things that seems like preachers have made to be the big sins. But the Bible, and the Bible does not say anything specifically about those. But the Bible does talk about forgetting. Forgetting being a sin. Read it for yourself how many times we are admonished to remember and not to forget. It makes it sound like forgetting is a sin. And you know why you forget? Because you don't talk about what you heard. And you don't mull it over in your mind. And you don't murmur it to yourself. You don't whisper it to yourself as you're going to sleep. The way you remember things is you use your mouth and you get it, you get it locked into your mind. And people forget when they won't take the effort to make themselves remember. Did it get quiet in here or was it just me? I'm telling you what the Bible emphasizes. Forgetfulness. Intentional forgetfulness. The Bible talks about debt being worse than dancing. And probably every preacher that preaches against dancing is so far in debt over his head, he has to beat the people for offerings. Am I preaching too good right here? The Bible does specifically talk about gossip. But we don't gossip in church. 
We turn it into prayer requests. <laughs> Please pray for them. They're really going through, oh yes, he has a girlfriend. Pray that she dies. Rebellion against spiritual authority. And of course, we don't do that either. We just vote on a new pastor. The Bible is specific about overeating. Was that crickets I heard? Specific about it. The Bible is specific about Scripture nullifying traditions that we have. Things that we do just because it's always been done that way. Real specific about certain things. I'm not picking on anybody today. I'm just telling you the scriptures are real specific about certain things that we don't want to talk about. We don't want to bring into our discipline because we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't gamble, we don't... You following me? We make up sins that we think we can keep from doing. But the real ones... It's just like Jesus talked to the Pharisees. You make up all this garbage. And on the inside, you're whited walls. I'm not talking to my people here this, today about you're not whited walls. But I'm saying there's always this tendency to not deal with the real issues and remember who we are. When you remember who you are, children of the covenant, all those issues that are no-nos to us, go away. All those things you shouldn't be doing, you don't even have a list of them anymore because you don't even think about them anymore. All those people who did you wrong, you don't even remember them doing you wrong because you stopped, finally, thank you Jesus, finally stopped talking about it. The reason you can't forget it is because you can't stop talking about it. Huh? Like that comedian I heard said he got, got arrested for being drunk in public. And he said, he said, and at that point I had the right to remain silent, but I didn't have the ability. <laughs> been there. Our standards too often are dictated by the world. So let me conclude with this. The church is a prophetic people. The church is a covenant people. The church is a blessed people. And the church is a holy people. We ain't trying to be holy. We are a holy people. We are a holy people. Your performance may not look like it sometimes. But you've got to keep it in your mind. I am holy. And with a consciousness of holiness as being part of your identity, you will live a holier life. Then as always a disciple trying to learn how to be holy. You'll never get there. You have to understand it has been imputed, it's been imputed to you on the moment, the very moment you believed on Jesus. The grace of God is in your life to cover you to perfection, to maturity, to make you be all you should be. Amen. Come on, I want you to look at two people and say this with me. 
you are better than you think you are. Tell somebody else, you are better than you think you are. Father, I thank you for these, your people today. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost that is in their lives and the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ to bring us to this moment of revelation and understanding. I pray that you will give us certainty concerning these truths, these covenant, new covenant realities, that we are the people of God. The church is a prophetic people, a covenant people, a blessed people, and a holy people. And I ask you now, Lord, that the revelation of that will take root in their hearts to bring forth fruit in their lives. Root in their hearts for fruit in their lives. Root in their hearts for fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed.